0: Hi everyone, and good afternoon. Welcome to my share this week for Parshat Vayetze. Today's share is sponsored by the Hurt and the Suisa families in memory of their mother, Lois Hurt, Aliza Bas Gershon, Aleha Sholem. Her first yacht site was on the 2nd of Kislev, and as any of you who watch my uh, videos on YouTube will know, all of our videos are in her schuss because she had a bunch of friends, Lois had a bunch of friends and very close family members who chose to pay for the equipment that we use every single week in order to record the shiurim and to put them on youtube so it's really in her schuss that you're able to learn so Lois who was a wonderful woman let me just tell you something about Lois before i begin the share Lois came to shul every single Shabbos. She was already an Almona for several years, I think even before I came to uh, Beverly Hills. Uh, she was an absolutely special woman, very well-read, very cultured, very interested in the shul and in the community. But she was also interested in having a relationship with the rabbi to know me better and to speak to me on a regular basis. And she wanted to choose one special thing which would make her stand out from everyone else in the community. I'll tell you what she did. Every week she would she read the newspapers, I don't know which newspapers she read, but she would cut out any cartoon that was in the newspaper that had some relevance to uh, something to do with Judaism or to do with the Bible, with the Torah, and she would bring me an envelope, a little envelope, of those cuttings of those cartoons to amuse me. I didn't read them in shul, but I would take them home with me and I'd look through them. They were always uh, very amusing and very entertaining and she would give that to me every single time she came to shul. The last few months of her life, unfortunately, she couldn't join us, but long after she had passed away, over the past year, you know, I take out an old jacket of a suit and inside there's an envelope and uh, it's those cartoons that she gave me that I must have stuck in my jacket, had a look through, and then stuck them back in my jacket. And now I can still be amused and entertained, even though she is no longer with us. But it's in chus that we study Torah together, that uh, my audience from across the globe, I was just in the, in the United Kingdom, I was in London, and I met so many people who watch the videos that we put out on YouTube. And I know that it's in chus and how much pleasure she is uh, having in Shamaim in heaven, knowing that uh, we are learning in her memory and Hanashama should have an aliyah, we should be zeiched to see Tchias HaMesim. Parshas Vayetzeh is really, in a sense, the beginning of the story of Yaakov Avinu. And I know that we had him in last week's parsha, and we already were introduced to him and to his brother Esav in Parshas Toldos. But somehow the story was happening to him at that stage. It wasn't a story that he was engaged in or um, where we engaged with him. It was still a story about Rivka and Yitzchak. And it happened to be that Yaakov and Esau were supporting actors. Even if, though they were crucial to those stories, they were supporting actors in the story. Here we begin in parshas Vayeti, the story of Yaakov Avino. Now what happened in between the end of Parsha's Toldos, and the beginning of Parsha's Vayetze, that space of time, that period of time is uh, figured out for us by Chazal. He apparently spent 14 years engaged in the study of, and it's referred to by Chazal as Torah, obviously it's not the Torah that we're studying, but some form of Torah. It's a discussion for another time. I think I've spoken about it in previous shiurim. He was in the Yeshiva, it's known as Yeshiva Shem Ever. Um, I don't think shame was involved anymore. I think it's mainly Aver, and what that exactly meant. It sounds to me, and particularly from the piece of Nesiva Sholem that we're going to be learning today, it sounds to me like it was an ancient form of monastery. And this was something which was very common um, in ancient pagan religions. Obviously, the issue of shame and Ever was not a pagan monastery, it was a monastery of, of those who believed in Hashem, of monotheists of people who absolutely believed that Hashem had created the world and they were studying whatever form of Torah that one could study at that time they were communing with God through some kind of medium that is referred to by Chazal as Torah and they were doing so in complete isolation from the rest of the world Shem and Ever had created this space which was separated from the rest of the world which uh, the influences of the world were extremely negative there was not one person in the world really besides for those who uh, studied the issue of Shem and Aver and the Ovois and their families uh, that believed in Hashem and they were these bastions, these lighthouses of monotheism in the world but not very successful in terms of Kiruv I don't think they were that interested in Kiruv we know that uh, Avraham Avinu was interested in Kiruv, Yitzchok was not Yaakov began a process of creating the chosen nation. He is known to us, via Chazal, as the Bechir HaAvos, the chosen one, among the uh, patriarchs, among the forefathers. And why would that be? Why is he referred to in this way? Well, we know that his Um, image was engraved into the Kisei Hakovoid, that Hashem uh, has a special affinity for Yaakov Avinu. We also know that whereas Avraham had a Yishmael and Bnei Keturah, and we know that Yitzchak had an Esav, Yaakov Avinu had children, all of whom stayed, as it were, from our perspective, within the fold, and it's all of their children that became the beginning of the jewish nation ultimately leaving mitzrayim and receiving the torah at har sinai so Yaakov avinu had no one who left the fold unlike his father and his grandfather some of whose children were not part of the um, of the narrative of the followers of hashem that would become the amhanivhar the chosen people who would inherit the land of israel the promised land so yakov avinu is unique but he's unique for another reason. Avram Avinu, we see the stories about Avram Avinu. Avram Avinu was somebody, even though he was involved with the world, and we see his interactions with the world, ultimately he is separate from the world. He is somebody who has forged his own path. And he comes to Eretz Canaan at the request of Hashem, or the command of God, and he sets himself up there. He did leave briefly because he went to Egypt, but he came back, and that's really where he stayed, where he remained. And he may have been friendly with a few people. He may have, you know, for example, we know that, uh, uh, that he lived in Kirat Arba, and he was friendly with some of the local landlords, but in, in essence, he was separated from them. His interactions with, with them were for practical purposes. Yitzhok was totally separated from everyone around him. We know the story uh, between him and Avimelech, but ultimately, he, his uh, path in life was one in which he lived on his own. Yaakov Avinu is very different. Yaakov Avinu, and, and this is what's so strange, begins life as somebody who is very isolated from the world. He's Yoshev O'Holim. He's separated. He sits in his four Amos, his particular location, and he studies, the way we refer to it is he studies Torah. We're going to see the Nesiva Shalom identifies yaakov Avinu as torah but at the same time once that's over once he's been through the experience of shaman ever the yeshiva of shaman ever he goes out into the world this week's parsha begins yaakov all the Meforshim deal with this and rashi deals with this i gave a share about this uh, earlier on this week in london i think i've spoken about it before previously uh, on ensure that I've given on parshas Vayetze, how Vayetze Yaakov is a, is a very powerful statement. It means he left, um, he left where he came from. He ke- went into a new place, but he had to leave that place and go to the new place. He he abandoned almost Vayetze Yaakov mi Be'erishova. He was no longer part of that milieu. He'd become a new person, and Vayelecharana. He really embraced his new life. You know, I, um, I've uh, mentioned this before in other contexts. One of the greatest rabbis of the uh, 19th century was a man called Rabbi Stral Salanter. And he is renowned because he created the Musser movement. He believed that it was extremely important to align Torah study and mitzvah observance with Jewish ethics. And he created, single-handedly created this concept of Musser and many yeshivas adopted it, there were some that didn't, adopted a seder, uh, a, a part of each day's uh, schedule. It was part of the curriculum of these yeshivas to study Jewish ethics, whatever Jewish ethic, svarim, um, books they looked at and texts. But the idea was that you cannot be a great Jew simply by being a great scholar. You have to be somebody who matches that scholarship with ethical and moral Behavior. Let me tell you about Rabbi Yisrael Salantar. Rabbi Salantar didn't stay in Vilna even though there's no question about it. He was the senior rabbi in Vilna for many many years. He left Vilna and first he went to Paris and he ended up in a place called Königsberg. And the reason I'm familiar with this is because my father was born in Königsberg in East Prussia. No longer exists as a city under that name. It's now called Kaliningrad and it's still part of the Russian Federation even though it's in the area of the Baltic states, it's surrounded by the Baltic states. But Kaliningrad was, could, Königsberg it was, a, uh, uh, it was a college town, a university town, very famous because uh, the great German philosopher Kant wrote um, all his major works in Königsberg, that's where he lived, and Rizal Salanta moved to Königsberg, and apparently, according to the evidence, he abandoned his rabbinic garb and adopted the garb of orthodox jews who lived in germany at the time which was a short jacket and either a homburg hat or a bent down hat i'm not quite sure exactly how he looked we don't have any pictures of him uh, and that's where he's buried and uh, many years after the second world war some point in the 1990s my father visited konigsberg and he rediscovered he relocated the uh, position within the old Jewish cemetery, which had been built over, etc., of Rabbi Shlomo Salanta's Kever, and they've built something uh, on top of it, and you can visit it there today. If you ever are in Kaliningrad, don't expect it's a place you frequent too often. But if you are ever there, you'll be able to go and visit the Kever of Rabbi Shlomo Salanta. The reason I'm mentioning Rabbi Shlomo Salanta and his move to Königsberg, what's so interesting is, is that the reason, the cause for him, leaving Vilna and going to Paris and going to Königsberg was that he felt that to be a great rabbi and a great Jewish moralist and ethicist in Vilna that didn't require very much you're surrounded wherever you are in Vilna by people who admire you if you're a great rabbi and who respect you and of course there are those who don't but essentially the community is behind you go to a place like Paris or go to a place like Königsberg And to still remain the great Rabbi Yisrael Salanta, who pushes the messages of Jewish um, uh, behavior and of Torah and of mitzvahs, that requires real greatness and real strength of character. And he wasn't somebody who just preached Musa, he lived Musa. He wanted to make sure that the message of Musa and the message of Jewish behavior wasn't something that was limited to Vilna, which at that time was known as The Yerushalayim of Lithuania, perhaps the Yerushalayim of the Jewish world, because Yerushalayim at that stage was very limited in its Jewish community and its infrastructure, and it certainly had no major yeshivas. But Vilna was a place where very great rabbis and Jewish scholars and Jewish institutions um, uh, existed, and he felt that there, of course, he's the great rabbi Yisrael salanta let's see if i can achieve something if i go to paris let's see if i can achieve something if i can go if i go to konigsberg you're going to see that's really if i wanted to summarize what the sheer today is about it's about this point that Yaakov Avinu represents something much more than a great person to be great within the goldfish bowl of a um of a jewish neighborhood let's call it let's say you live in one of the great jewish from jewish neighborhoods of the world whether it's in Jerusalem or it's in bnei brak or i've just come from london it's in golders green or in stamford Hill. if you're in new york it's williamsburg it's borough park of course Lakewood. Uh, a town of Torah, uh, a a town which has grown specifically because at its center is this fantastic yeshiva or in the many other, I haven't mentioned of course, all the many neighborhoods where there are wonderful from Jewish communities. To be a from Jew in those neighborhoods, of course it requires effort, but your effort is far less. How about being a Jew without borders? how about being a jew wherever you are how about being like the twersky family which moved in the early part of the 20th century to milwaukee and remained so true to the derech of their ancestors to the hasidic way of the of the chernobyl dynasty Uh, and of course the father was uh, the honest Rebbe of milwaukee and had all these children who went to university to college studied for degrees and yet they emerged with the same enthusiasm and passion for their Jewish identity. Hadn't dropped, hadn't diluted, hadn't become something different as a result of their exposure. How do you become a Jew without borders? How do you become like Rabbi Josheber Soloveitchik, Rabbi J.B. Soloveitchik, who came from this incredible dynasty, the Soloveitchik family, the Brisk family, and he came to Boston and he shone and he remained true to his ideals and to the study of Torah and to everything that his family represented of course later on became the Rosh Hashiva at Yeshiva University and the Yeshiva Rabbi Rabbi Yitzhak el as it's known Ritz in New York and he became this beacon this lighthouse he left the confines of Brisk he left the neighborhood of his great of his grandfather and great-grandfather Uh, He was named after his great-grandfather, Rabbi Yosheber Soloveitchik, and, of course, he knew his grandfather, Rabbi Chaim Soloveitchik, and his father, Rabbi Moshe Soloveitchik, who came to America before him, and he maintained his standard and his Derech HaLimud and his passion for Torah and for Torah study and for uh, his uh, teaching of Torah. How is that possible? How can you be and still remain That's going to i the whole shir. Don't turn off because I want to read for you the Nesiva Shalom and want to go through it with you. You'll see how beautiful it is and how many different Nakudois points he raises and brings out of this idea of um, of Yaakov Avinu and he uses as his foundation Your descendants your seed will be like the dust of the earth, ufaratsta yama vakedma tzefina vanegba, and you will spread out across the world, whether it's east, west, south, or north. Everywhere you go, there is going to be um, there is going to be descendants of Yaakov Avinu kaafar haoretz matzino bechazal. We find in Chazal says the Nesiv Shalom beinu havtoh hazusin emor Yakov shehi nachala belay matzorim. This is referred to this promise by Hashem to Yaakov Avinu. Um, uh, this unbelievable revelation at the beginning of Vayetze, where, where Avra, um, Yaakov is told by Hashem that Ufaratsta, um, that your children will be spread out, Yom that is that is referred to as a legacy without borders. The Gemara and Shabbos adds another angle to this and says. At the moment, I'm going to translate this in the way that we would all translate this. Although you're going to see the Nesiva Sholem says the translation isn't quite correct. Anyone who delights, regales in the Shabbos, he will receive this legacy without borders. And he quotes a posuk. The posuk says, so there is this idea that Shabbos, like this idea that we see at the beginning of say, we see that Yaakov is referred to as a as someone who is going to have a Nachla without borders, a legacy without borders. And Shabbos is some type of representation of this ideal, of this aspiration of Nachla Beli Metzorim so the Nasi Shalom goes on to say not like Avraham and like Yitzchak it was restricted it was limited it had borders so Hashem says to Avraham come let me show you the land I'm going to show you its its length its breadth I'm going to show you the country well obviously a country has borders A country is not without borders so that's as far as Avraham Avinu is concerned, they're like a and Yaakov is not like Yitzchak. Yitzchak also has limitations, has restrictions. boy, what does it say about Yitzchak? To you and to your children, I will give all the lands of God. What does that mean? What well, we're talking about, Eretz israel We're not talking about the whole world. Unbelievable. Yaakov Avinu has. The whole world at his fingertips. Yaakov Al-Vinu has a legacy that isn't limited to the confines of Eretz Yisrael. The Bnei Yisrael, the Bnei Yaakov, can be Bnei Yaakov and Bnei Yisrael wherever they go. They're not limited to one particular location on the globe. Nachla What is this? This this idea is a legacy without borders, sans frontiere, as as we call it in French. And says the Nesivas Sholem, we need to understand this. Why is it that only Yaakov Avinu has this designation as someone who will receive a legacy without borders? And that doesn't apply to Avram and it doesn't apply to Yitzchak. We also need to explain. We need to understand this reference point that we have of Shabbos. That Why somebody who delights and regales in the Shabbos will receive We don't see that this designation is awarded, is given to anybody um, else for having, uh, for having kept some other mitzvah in the Torah. There's many mitzvahs in the Torah. How about keeping one of the other mitzvahs, making sure that you always eat kosher? Or making sure that you uh, observe Yom Tov. By the way, what about somebody who keeps Pesach? Why can't he um, experience Nachla B'lim What about all the mitzvahs that are associated with Bein Adam LeChaveray? There's many mitzvahs of Bein Adam LeChaveray. Why do not? Why do, do they not have this designation of Nachla B'lim And it's just referenced to Shabbos. So that's what the the focus will be of this particular piece. This beautiful piece of nasivah Shalom. Says the Nusiba Shalom. In, in, in explaining what we're talking about, let's really understand the the theme, the central identification of Yaakov Avinu. Who is he? What does he truly represent? So Yaakov Avinu is for all intents and purposes of all the ovois the one that is most as we might put it in english a man of the world a man of the world around him a man who understands. he does business he engages with people he understands the functions of leadership he understands what it means to live in a world of people that doesn't function like he does doesn't think like he does and he brings up his children in the end he ends up in midshrine um, and he speaks to Parai, but even long before that, before he's established a family, he goes to Choram where he spends 20 years with an uncle who, to put it mildly, is not a, a good person. And we know that Yaakov Ovinu remained Yaakov Ovinu. What does that mean? What's his, what is his central theme? What is the characteristic that we can identify with him most of all? I'll tell you what it is. He is somebody who takes the world and he lifts it up to the highest possible level it's all very well to live in a monastery in a yeshiva shemva ever, and to be a holy monk but that's not the way to build up a nation that we can call the chosen nation that we can give the Torah to Hashem can give the Torah to a nation that stands out has to be a nation that's really within the world and at the same time is holy and at the same time is sanctified and at the same time represents the will of HaShem and the message of HaShem. That's what's so important. In fact, it's the most important thing. Who truly represents this ideal? The one of all the Ovois, of, of the three Ovois, who truly represents this ideal is Yaakov. We have Avram, a great man. We have Yitzhak, a great man. In fact, these are foundational figures for other reasons. But the one who represents this idea, as it's put here, that yaakov it's the kiddish kol to sanctify all matters that are related to the material until such time as they themselves the most material um, aspects of human existence of physical existence that they are elevated to the level that they are part of the torah that is yaakov Avinu, Kamama Moran Hasaba Adish HaMelechovitz he quotes one of the ancestors of the slonomer Hasidus who says as follows Shemi Parashat Vayetzei Parashosei Shel from Parshas Vayetzei which begins the personal narrative of Yaakov Ovinu Onu Lmodim Eich SheYaakov Ovinu Heirim Eskolinyonov Sokov Hagashmiim we see how he elevates all the matters that are in his life and all the businesses that he is engaged in the material aspects of his life to an, a level that is at the highest possible point until every aspe- aspect of it becomes torah you know uh, there's another long piece in the nasiva shalom that talks about the different spotting and patching of the sheep of the uh, flocks and how yakov managed to by using certain aspects of i, I don't know exactly how they do it but the breeding uh, methods which meant that the sheep um, would see uh, a, a the way that the sticks looked and then would have lambs that would resemble in their patterning, would resemble those sticks. All of that seems very mundane. Who's particularly interested in the breeding methods of people living in ancient Mesopotamia? But that's something which is central. That's what Nesiva Sholom says there, perhaps another year. I will go to, into it in greater detail. What the Nesivas Shalom is telling us is that even the most mundane aspects of Yaakov's existence, even the way he conducted himself in his breeding methods of the flocks of sheep that he was looking after for Lavan, even in that he elevated it to the level of Torah. How do we know that? Because it's included in the Torah. The fact that it's included in the Torah means, and the Nesivas Shalom actually goes much further than this, uh, means that it's, it is Torah. Inherently, it's Torah. The Nisiva Shalom says that some of the highest and most um, elevated secrets of Kabbalah are contained in the stories of Yaakov Avinu, which seem the most mundane and uninteresting in terms of of what they seem to be teaching us or seem to be saying, at least in their literal translation. And he goes on here to say. We have this dream that Yaakov Avinu had when he was lying there on Mount Moriah and he's sleeping and in his dream he sees a ladder and the way the ladder is described is mutzav of it's placed, it's firmly established on the ground but the head of the ladder, the top of the ladder reaches all the way into the heavens obviously we're not talking about the sky, we're talking here about the elevated heavens not the physical sky and it's it's um definitely meant to convey a message says in the siva shalom um, what are we drawing out of this imagery we're drawing out that all of those matters the material matters of life things that you need uh, in order to live Shehem b'vchina smutza Rep- how, how do we represent that? The image here is that the ladder has is fir- it's firmly footed in the ground. The ground, the ladder being human life, the ground being the material needs of a human being. So the ladder, the Sulam, is Mutzav Artsa. Shayochim You would think that the fact that it's Mutsov Artsa, the fact that the ladder is on the ground, means that ultimately there is this realm of physicality, of, of material needs, And that's what it's all about. It's not true. Don't separate the two out. There's not something which is elevated and something which is mutzav Artsa. The ultimate goal, the ultimate destination of those who want to bring out the, um, the need of the human being, of the neshama, in this world is... What should they be doing? They should be muts of art, so you need to be in this world, but Roshoi, you, Magia You have to take all of that, that ladder, and bring it up and elevate it so that it reaches the heavenly sphere. every aspect of existence. you have the possibility of elevating it to the highest possible level, until it becomes in and of itself. The service of God. And the Malachi Elohim, the angels of God, are going up and going down on this ladder. If you want to know what is a Malach Hashem, a Malach Hashem is a tzaddik, a righteous person, somebody who excels in their service of God. They are on this ladder constantly. and What they're doing is they're constantly in this um, dynamic of Sula mutzav arza v'roishem agiya hashamayma. That's that's the dynamic of a tzaddik's life In every aspect of their existence, how much they can take the aspects of physicality in their lives, the material aspects of their lives, and make sure How do they make themselves greater? Not by staying at the top of the ladder. Sometimes they need to come down a bit in order to take more of the physical of the material in order to elevate it again once they've done that they come back down and every aspect of material life come on we're humans we need to live life we need to sleep we need to eat we need to engage with people we need to conduct ourselves in business we need to interact with people who are not particularly holy and yet we in doing so we have the opportunity of being a sula mutzav artsa beresha magia and And this is exactly what was shown, what what Yaakov visualized in his dream. That Yaakov Avinu's task as the bechir HaAvois was to make that which is permitted in order to live, in order to function in life, to make it something more. To make it a mitzvah to make it something holy something spiritual not only that he should sanctify himself with that which is allowed to him he has to elevate them it's not that you That in order to, let's say, this is very Hasidic, by the way, this idea is a very Hasidic idea, has its origins in the original teachings of the Baal Shem Tov and the Mezrish Shemagid. When you make a brocha on an apple, I'll just give you this as an example. Make a broch on an apple, you might say that the the apple itself has no relevance here. The only relevance here is that the apple is a heicha it gives you the possibility of making a brocha. So you're elevating yourself and you're eating the apple. How about, says the Baal Shem Tov, says the Medrash Shemagid, and this is what is being referenced here in the Nesiva Shalom. The apple itself becomes a chefter shel You've made a bracha, berei priha eats on the apple. In and of itself, before that, the apple was just nothing. It's just an apple that fell from the tree or was cut from the tree and got sold in the supermarket. It's of no importance. By the way, it could have get bought, got bought by somebody. wouldn't make a bracha on it. Or I mean, hopefully not to any of the people I'm giving this shir to. You may not make a bracha on it. It's going to just remain the same apple. could be an apple that was eaten by a donkey. could be an apple that was eaten by a human. Okay? But now you ate it. Do you know what you did before you ate the apple? You made a bracha. Hashem boire You took an apple that was a shtick garnished. It was absolutely nothing and you turned it into a hefetz shel kedusha that's what we're talking about here take the world around you and elevate it make it something which is i'm fond of saying this greater than the sum of its parts not greater in the sense that it's great it's still an apple it's still any of the other things that you've got in your life great in the sense that it's been i'm going to invent a word here spiritualized it's been holyized You've turned something which was mundane and ordinary and nothing, garnished, and you've turned it into something holy, elevated. <speaking in Hebrew> it's an incredible idea. And that, if you want to know who Yaakov Avinu was, he was that. But what's incredible, and this is what Menesih Shalom is going to deal with, is that it's not who Yaakov Avinu really was. It's quite strange. Yaakov Avinu seems for all intents and purposes to have been the exact opposite Va'yikatz Yaakov Yaakov woke up from his sleep Yodati he woke up from his dream he was sleeping and he says one second whoa guys what's going on here how is it possible that Hashem is in this place I never knew that i always thought hashem is in the clouds hashem is in the heavens hashem is in the yeshiva of shame and ever that's what the nesiva shalom says is so remarkable wake up from your sleep you holy person that's who that's who yaakov avinu is talking to he's talking to you and me if this is in the pasuk at the beginning of Ayatse, he's not talking to himself we're not just repeating the words of Yaakov Avinu this is not just uh, talking about cartoons some type of bubble above his head with the words that he spoke for our entertainment this is a message to you he's talking to you do you know what he's saying Ochein Yesh Hashem Hashem is right here <speaking in Hebrew> of course Hashem is in Shul of course Hashem is in my house and of course hashem is go, is going to be when i go to Ashir, or i visit a rebba or whatever it is i do or in a neighborhood where everybody is from whatever you're going to say but hashem is everywhere that is the incredible attribute of yaakov avinu that hashem can be wherever you want him to be you can elevate hashem and you can elevate uh, a, a place, sorry, you can elevate where you are. It can be Paris, it can be Königsberg, it doesn't have to be Vilna. <speaking in Hebrew> I didn't know, says the Nesiva Shalom. Um, <speaking in Hebrew> Until now, in the whole 14 years, <speaking in Hebrew> what was he doing there? He was completely engaged in the study of Torah, whatever that may mean, and he was doing the service of Hashem. He was sitting and governing, communing with God. He didn't know that all the aspects of life that one is familiar with as a human being, that all the mundane, material aspects of life, that even in those, you can elevate them and you can turn them into the service of God. It's only when he had this vision in his dream it's only then suddenly it was revealed to him that Hashem is in this place even in the places which are the most material there is godliness and it is perfectly possible to elevate those aspects of life until the ultimate location loishe magiashamaima how unbelievable that's what Yaakov avinu is telling us and that's what Yaakov avinu represents al gamma de vayeshiv yakov raglov vayelach and now, uh, um, Vayisso, sorry, Vayiso, Yaakov R'aglov, Vayelech Arutzah b'Nei Kedem. He lifted up his legs and he went towards the lands of the east. Ma'ul Lashem Vayisso Raglav, Vlo Vayelech. Why is it saying he lifted up his legs? Vlo Vayelech, not simply. He could say Vayelech Arutzah b'Nei Kedem. Eloshel Acha is Galus Shegila LaKodesh Baruch Hu. After this revelation that God gave him, that he saw that um, Sula Mutzav Arzo, do you know what he understood? Even the most mundane of all things that you can do, basically what he was doing was running away. He was mi He was abandoning his background. He was abandoning the holy place. He was getting further and further away from the source of Kedusha in the world at that time. V'yei Tzeyakob m'Bershova Vayele but do you know what he realized? By Yisrael Yaakov you can lift up your legs so that your journey doesn't have to be a downward spiral. It can be an upward, uh, an upward direction. It can be something where Sula Mutsav Magiashamaima, and that's what and that's what the word means. That even it's Hamadregoy uh, um, Regel the regal represents the bottom of your body it's right at the bottom, it's your foot, it's your leg you can lift them up until they come up to the most elevated levels of holiness and sanctity and then and then he went you can go anywhere, doesn't matter where you are you can be in Kobe, Japan and you can have the mir yeshiva you can be in shanghai china you can have the mir yeshiva of course later on mir yeshiva ended up in brooklyn and ended up in yerushalayim but for years during the second world war the strength of the learning was Yaakov s raglov by lech kedem they went to the far east and even there managed to establish Yaakov sula what an incredible example of how it's possible to take the kedusha out of the most mundane place and actually take that mundane place and elevate it to the highest level possible you can be anywhere go anywhere in every aspect of your life wherever you may be you can be in the service of hashem you can do acts which are godly in and of themselves, or you can turn them godly. If you want to understand everything that we're going to read about Yaakov, it's this. This is the unifying theme of all the stories regarding Yaakov Avinu. How he elevated every aspect of of the things that he did and he turned them into as it were carbonize, into sacrifices and that's why he is the one who carries forward as it were the legacy without borders he took those things which are heter they have no you know that the nesivas shalom is very fond of saying that there's a concept of Sur meira, and there's a concept of ase Toiv you can make sure that you're not tome, but that doesn't mean you're kadosh. Sur Meirah first make sure that you've completely eradicated anything that's bad in your life okay that's one level by the way it's not the best level because there's a level of ase Toiv there's a level of you've got to make sure that you're doing good and you don't have to just do good with good you can do good with things which are not particularly good neutral Or perhaps you might think of them as bad because they're going to drag you down. Or you can think of themselves as uh, of them as so unimportant. you're eating something, you're going somewhere to do business. How is it possible when you're going to do business to have a business meeting that you can elevate it? But of course you can. You can in every given situation. You can teach people the morality uh, of of what it means to be a believer in Hashem you can get them to say thank you Hashem you can get them to appreciate that uh, the, the success of your business is not something that's down to you or down to random luck but it's something that's down to the fact that you believe in Hashem and they believe in Hashem and Hashem directs the world I'm just giving you some very basic examples of how we can be in our lives Sula Mutzav Arzah and we can be vaisa Yaakov is Raglov, Magyar Shemaima, and then Bayelech Arzob and Ekedem. Every aspect of Yaakov Avinu is a reflection of this idea that it doesn't matter where you are and what you're doing, you can elevate it to the highest possible level. He lifted every single thing that he did to the highest possible level. And through this, he widened, broadened the borders of Kedusha Al kain zochel nachla b'li mitsarim midak keneged midah, and that's why he receives an inheritance, a legacy that's without borders, and it is uh, tit for tat, as you might say, midah keneged midah. V'zeo inyon hamaneg as hashabbos shenoisnin loy nachla b'li and now we understand this idea that somebody who's maaneg the shabbos, that he gets nachla b'li mitsarim, a legacy without borders. What are we are talking about? You're going to see here that the translation of the word is going to be really important. The word ha-ma-aneg, We mistran- slightly mistranslated it before. Loi omru hamis aneg We don't say somebody who takes pleasure regales as a result of Shabbos. Ah, it's so nice that it's Shabbas today. That's not what we're talking about. That's how we would generally understand the posut, but the word ma-aneg is a little bit ambiguous it's not hamis aneg, aneg es cuz that means that he pleasures himself as a result of having this day called Shabbos that's not what we're talking about elo hama aneg es ha-shabbos. somebody who who delights the Shabbos what does that mean what are we talking about? Zohar explains what it means. Azara, the principal work of Kabbalah, explains, if you look at it, it says, de Gufa Do you know what Shabbos is? Shabbos is the ultimate soul day. It's the day of the soul, not a day of the body. One second. Don't I eat a good chunt on Shabbos? Don't I, don't I like eating loction kugel and kartoffel kugel on Shabbos? Surely that's a matter of the body, It's not a matter of the soul. What are we talking about? When I eat chicken soup on Friday night, and it's got good knedels in it and a bit of loction. Surely that's taking pleasure out of Shabbos. I mean, would I eat that during the week? What I'm, how am I meant to fit that into this concept of aneg? Es ha-Shabbos. Shabbos, Ihu says a Zohar. Shabbos is surely a day of the soul. Eating chicken soup doesn't sound like a soul activity, says the Nesiva Sholom. Be uh, because you have to give over all of the pleasures of the body to the soul on Shabbos. You know what that means? It's an incredible idea. Not sure how. I'm, it's difficult to internalize it. You, you need to think about it. But imagine if you could turn all of the physical pleasure you have on Shabbos into a spiritual experience. Of course there's the physical experience, but imagine you could completely eradicate the physical pleasure of eating a good chunt on Shabbos or eating a good chicken soup on Shabbos. And you could turn it into something that's completely spiritual. That's the idea here. ha you turn this idea of Shabbos being an neshama day into something that's not just an ashoma in the holy things. I davin on Shabbos, I have with a lot of kavonna. That's not what we're talking about. But you take the physical aspects of the day, the goof aspects of the day, and you turn them into the shabbas, es ha shabbas. Um that what do we do? It's called Tanuge Ha Guflin Ashama, l'chhailek, and mal. I turn them into something which is an aspect, a part of A God above. Now you've expanded. You've spread beyond the natural borders of kedusha, which we know, which we can define. It's quite easy to define them. Now you've spread them to beyond. You've gone beyond that border. You've crossed over that border into a new country. It's called the country of the Guth. It's not the country of the Neshama. Ah, that's what it means we're not talking about expanding physically by the way you may expand physically as well if you eat too much chaunt that's what we're talking about you know what that's talking about it's talking about um there's no borders here you can take any aspect of shabbos anything that you do on shabbos which is for the purpose of Whatever it is that Shabbos represents, and you can turn it into a Neshoma experience. Imagine that. Everything that you do on Shabbos can be a Neshoma experience. You've expanded the borders of Kedush HaShemachnis. You've taken that which is under the uh, rubric of just your physical life, of the things that you do in life, of your body. And what have you done? You've brought them into the territory uh, under under the control of the neshama. betanu As a result of you getting physical pleasure and material pleasure, now your neshama is getting pleasure as well. nachla You get nachla That's what you're going to get. Is the reward for treating shabbos in this way that's why it's shabbos. so why particularly shabbos why is it this the only mitzvah where it's relevant where it applies surely this should apply to anything any aspect of a person's life that um, they give over to hashem whatever it is that they do Says that, the Nasiva Shalom Yesh Lefarish, the Kobrina says, and he quotes here one again, another ancestor of the uh, founder of the Slonim Chasidus. He says, He says as follows, You should, you should uh, guard the Shabbos, you should secure every aspect of Shabbos, so you should observe the Shabbos. Kikodesh lochem, because it's holy for you. That's the literal translation. But he says kikodesh he lochem. But Shabbos kodesh. On Shabbos, on the holy Shabbos, yeskoyach hakadosh alakodesh is kol inyonay lochem. You can take the lochem in you, and you can completely conquer it. You can subjugate it. You can you can sanctify it by making sure it doesn't exist. Ha inyonim shegam heim even the aspects of your physical existence can be completely overwhelmed by the Kedusha of your Neshama if that's what you intend them to do, and that's something that's unique to Shabbos. The Posuk says, "Ushmarat Shabbos, ki and on an ordinary weekday, you can try and do this, but the k'yach, the spiritual energy doesn't exist to do it to the same extent as it exists on Shabbos. The only thing you can do during the week is to make sure that you are a sur meira. That much you can do. You can get to the level of making sure that you're pure, that you're not impure. That's one level and it's very important. You couldn't reach the level of Asay of kedusha unless you get to the level of Sur Meirah. Although elsewhere the Nesivah Shalom talks about this in, in, um, as two separate ideals. But here he combines the two and he says that during the week, what you can do is you can be a Sur Meirah. You can make yourself Toher, but how do you make yourself kodosh how do you become an assay toiv that's only possible on shabbos uh, this element of being kodosh of kedusha of holiness of sanctity of being special unique that possibility only exists on shabbos the word lochem the kedusha of lochem is only possible if you are somebody who is a shabbos um, because on shabbos the possibility of every making everything holy, not just toho but holy that exists on Shabbos. And it's only on shabbos that you have have this possibility of the reward of Nachla Belimut Sarim. Just want to add one last piece before we conclude, and I'm not going to read it. The Nasivas Shalom wants to add that. Yakov Yaakov Ovinu is a representative or representation of Torah and he goes into it in quite some detail. He says that Yaakov Avinu, in and of himself is Torah. That's what he is. That's what, that's the mahus of Yaakov is Torah. We say Titein M'sli Le Yaakov, MS of course is a synonym for Torah and Torah and Yaakov are synonymous. Which means that Yaakov being this concept of Nachla Beli it, it, it f- spills over into the concept of Torah, that somebody who studies Torah with passion, and in any location and in any given situation, he has the possibility, I mean, he puts it most beautifully, he says, you can have access to the orha hagonos to the hidden light, light that has no borders. Can you imagine that? Because light has borders. You know what the borders are? In the morning, before morning, it was dark. And in the evening, as the day ebbs away, it's going to get dark. But imagine the Ur as the hidden light, the God hid at the beginning of creation, the source of light, and not just light as we understand it, but spiritual light. Imagine that as something that you can, you can um, tap into, that you can gain access to. Do you know how you could gain access to it? If you study Torah, God promises that there will be Nachla B'Lim That you will have an inheritance, you will have a legacy without borders, that you will have the true light. The light of Torah, the light of Yaakov Avinu is something that you can inject into your life if you do it constantly and in any given situation, not limit yourself. If you don't limit yourself in terms of the study of Torah, if the study of Torah is something that you will do in any given situation wherever you can. You know, this week I was at a wedding and I noticed how many people bring a little Mishnahis with them or a Gemara, they want to study Dafyomi Yomi, learn mishnais in the downtime that exists in weddings as you're waiting for this to happen or that to happen. That's what we're talking about. That's Titein Emesli Yaakov. That is nachelah belima that's something which has no gvul, that has no border, and that is the life of a Jew. That even in our physical limitations, we have physical limitations, we can become unlimited. We're not limited, we have no borders, and that is in the schus of Yaakov Avinu, and that is because Yaakov Avinu is the Bechir HaAvais. We'll leave it here for today. Thank you so much.